Well, good morning, everybody. I am so glad y'all are here. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. My name is Aaron Parks, and I get to serve as one of the ministry leaders here at Fellowship Fayetteville. I'm always on that end of the building, hanging out with all the kids. It's my favorite place to be on a Sunday. And so I'm just really glad y'all are here. Uh, this is one of our gatherings here at Fellowship Fayetteville, where the body of Christ gathers. And I know many of y'all gather throughout the week in coffee shops and around tables. And so we're so grateful that y'all are involved in uh, Fellowship Fayetteville. And I don't know about you, but for the last few weeks um, and the last few months, really, it's honestly been really hard for me uh, just to see the way that God is moving. There have been times where I've just kind of gotten down a little bit where I'm like, man, what is God even doing? Is God even still doing stuff here? I don't, I don't know. But the really cool thing is, in the midst of all of that, over the last couple of weeks, it feels like God has been showing me how he is working over and over and over again in the middle of us. And I actually even had to cut a couple of stories from this morning because I was like, oh, there's so many great stories of what God is doing right now. And so I just wanna tell you about a couple of those things that, that he's doing uh, around the world and here and how we can get involved in that. And so one of the things that's really awesome that we're continuing to do here at Fellowship Fayetteville is Operation Christmas Child. And so I don't know those of y'all that have been involved with that, but it's really awesome how God is using this ministry all over the world. And it's something here at Fellowship that we've been involved with for a few years now, and we're gonna continue to be involved with. So we'd love for y'all to grab one of these boxes out in the foyer. Now the deadline is Sunday, November 21st. Sunday, November 21st. A lot of times when we say that, people hear Monday, November 22nd. No, that's not it. <laughs> Sunday, November 21st. There's a lot of volunteers that do an awesome job of organizing all of this stuff, and after that Sunday, they start packing it up and getting it ready to ship. So Sunday, November 21st. It's gonna be awesome. Another thing that I would love to tell y'all about is this is a little more local. It's a partnership we have with South Church here in Fayetteville, and it's an opportunity we have to serve some people here in Northwest Arkansas, and here, primarily here in Fayetteville, who find themselves without homes and without shelter during this season. And so it's a sleeping bag drive and tents, and so you can bring those here and drop those off in the foyer starting next week. And so it's just a great way to partner with a local ministry here and provide for some people in our community. Let's see. Oh, another thing I'm really excited about. There really are a lot of things going on right now. It's really exciting. November 28th, Sunday night, we are having a family Advent service. So we're kicking off Advent with a service with bring your whole family, come in here. It's at 6 p.m. that night, and we're just kicking off Advent, beginning the Christmas Advent season. Now, the thing that's really exciting to me about this is we're partnering with four other churches here in Fayetteville, and we're all coming together with our families. And our prayer is that we would continue to bring unity here in Fayetteville among the body of Christ. And so it's gonna be really awesome to see five different churches coming together, families coming together and worshiping and celebrating Advent. So we'd really love it if you all join us in here, 6 p.m., November 28th, for a family Advent service. We're gonna be handing out our Advent books and handing out some stuff. It's gonna be really awesome. So we'd love for you all to be here. I'm really proud of our early childhood team. Our early childhood team has done a great job over the last, um, like, 18 months of taking the ministry that we do here at Fellowship Fayetteville and tweaking it a little bit so that we can continue in the middle of COVID. And one of the, the main things that they've tweaked is our parent-child dedication and the way that we do those. They realized we can't really gather to do this, but what we can do is we can encourage families to dedicate their kids in community. And so they've developed these parent-child dedication boxes, and so families will contact them, get these boxes, and then they will dedicate their kids in community. They'll have a parent-child dedication ceremony at their house, and it's a really, really beautiful thing, and so we've actually gotten to dedicate um, four uh, kids, or there's four families that have dedicated their kids over the last six months, and I just wanted to share those with y'all this morning. So one of those is Brooks Hollingshead, and his parents are Blake and Megan, so they just gathered at their home with people that they want to help disciple their kids, and they dedicated their kids together. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, this next group was actually a community group that all had babies about the same time, and so they decided, let's all get together because we're all gonna be there anyway. So they said, we can either do three or four of these or let's just do one, and we'll all be there. And that's what they did. And so we've got Jax and Emerson Peterson, and parents are Drew and Katie. And then we've got Olivia White, parents Eric and Allie and older brother James, and we've got Bo Farron, parents Matthew and Sydney. And so this group got together 
to dedicate their kids to the Lord and to say, we wanna be there for each other. We wanna be the body of Christ to one another and help teach our kids what it means to follow Jesus. It's a beautiful thing that God's been doing. And there's actually, Gretchen told me this morning that there's another group uh, coming here in about two or three weeks and they're gathering about 40 people together to dedicate their kids uh, in their home. And so that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so it's, it's, it's exciting to see the things that God is doing. Now with that, we have a responsibility to these families as well and to these kids. It's not just a, oh look, those kids are really cute. That's awesome. No, we have a responsibility as the body of Christ to pray for and to encourage and to support these families. And so if you will commit to doing that for these families, just say we will. Hey, I wanna pray for these families really quick and then I wanna ask y'all one more question. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your love for us and thank you for this morning that we get to celebrate and we get to be here. It's such a gift, Father, over the last year and a half Uh, things looking differently. God, I don't take that for granted, just the opportunity we have to gather on a Sunday morning. And so I'm so grateful for this morning. And thank you for these families and they've committed to follow you. They've committed to teach their kids what it means to follow Jesus. And I pray that you would bless this morning in all these things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So leading into this season, this Advent kind of Christmassy season, I contend to really focus on myself a lot. Uh, and kind of be consumeristic and materialistic. And one of the things that I've found that really helps me get over that is to just think about what am I thankful for and to see the things that God has provided for me that I'm thankful for. And so that's what I want us to do right now is everybody turn to somebody next to you and just answer the simple question, what am I thankful for? And so share that together. blessed people, are we not? We have so much to be thankful for, and uh, the hope is that in this season, and even this morning, as, as we teach about what it looks like to be content with what the Lord's given us, that we would never lose sight of the things that we can be thankful for. Um, I'm really thankful for my wife in this season. She has been my steady. Um, we're, we're expecting our first kid in about two months, and uh, I'm just really thankful for her specifically. Um, this morning, and I'm sure if we went around the room, that would take a very long time, Um, but we would all have things that we are so thankful for. Just for a moment, I want you to reconsider, I want you to think about when Jesus intersected your life. Maybe for you, it was an exact moment, maybe it was over a long period of a season. If it wasn't for Jesus, where your life would be. I know for me, if it wasn't for Jesus, then I would have no hope in my struggle with people-pleasing. I would have no hope in my struggle with materialism. I would have no hope in my struggle with my identity. I worry so much about what people think about me and if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have hope in that struggle. I wanna draw our attention to uh, 1 Timothy. We've been studying it all semester and this is from chapter one and this is what Paul says. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We have so much to be thankful for, and especially Christ. And so I want this song as we sing it to give us words to simply thank Jesus for. Would you stand with us? And let's sing this in response to what he's done for us. Thank you, Jesus. You set me free. Christ, my Savior. You rescued me. Sing it again. Let's thank him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Now I belong to his kingdom, and 
Instead of, instead of singing, I belong to Christ, I want you to sing, you belong to Christ this morning. And I want you to sing it over the person in front of you to your side and just remind them of their identity this morning. You belong to Christ, my King. You belong to Him. Let's sing that together. You belong to Christ, my King. You belong to Him. Drawn by His kindness. Found in his love, you belong to Christ. That's good. For my waking bread, for my day. Good morning. I'm Aaron Marshall, and this is Ryan Folks. And uh, Ryan's wife Susie and his mom Kim have joined us today. We're so excited to celebrate his baptism. And uh, he had, we started talking about this a few weeks ago. He had a couple of concerns, the first of which was he wanted to honor the heritage 
of being baptized as an infant in the Methodist church by his parents. And I said, man, that's like, it's like the earnest money on the deposit uh, towards a house, and today's the day we pay off the mortgage. So this is, this is, a, this is a celebration of that. And uh, his mom, when, when he called her and told her what was going to happen today, she uh, was so excited to, to be here and celebrate this with him, said, uh, confirmed that thinking. And then he said, uh, you know, I just don't want it to be about me. And I said, well, it's not. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. And so, Ryan, is it your testimony, your story, that 10 years ago you came face to face with the sin in your life and the grace that was offered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you accepted it that day fully and freely. You've been following Jesus ever since. And today's a public declaration in front of family and friends and all of you gathered today and everyone on the live stream that you intend to follow him all the days of your life. Yes, sir. Then Ryan... My brother in Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. When I pass through death, as I enter death, oh, I depend on you. on you, the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we, every single person in this room has so much to be thankful for this morning. So God, we give you thanks for what you've done and what you're yet to do and what you will continue to do in each one of our lives. Lord, we look to you. Would you teach us from your word this morning that we may leave different, that we may see people the way you see them, that we may make decisions the way that you would make decisions. God, would you make us more like you? Oh, I love seeing life changed evidence through the act of baptism. This gets me going. What a morning I'm having. Extra hour of sleep. We're baptizing people. We're bowl eligible. Man, <laughs> I'm in tall cotton. Hey, let me ask y'all a question. Who wants to be rich? Hmm? Everybody? 
Everybody wants to be rich. No matter how much we say, oh, that's not my, that's not, that's not me. I don't know. I don't think about it. No, no. We've all thought about it. We've all seen fictional portrayals of the super rich and thought to ourselves, what would it be like? What would it be like to be super rich, to have everything? What would it be like to have the, the incredible house with the ocean view? What would it be like to drive the exotic car that turns heads everywhere you go? What would it be like to wear clothes that didn't come off the clearance rack? All my clothes don't come off the clearance rack. I bought these pants at Sam's. We've all wondered, right? And we all think the same thing. We all think I could handle it. Yes, other people are crushed by the weight of wealth. Other people struggle with family problems because of their wealth. We see these lottery winners that are broke in just a few years, but we think, I would be different. I would be able to handle it. I could handle being rich. And all of us have a sliding scale on what rich is, don't we? We all kind of think we're middle class. So we say things like, well, yeah, I've got a nice home and a dependable vehicle and everything, but I'm not vacation house rich. And then the person with the vacation house is like, well, yeah, I mean, we've got a place at the lake, but I'm not Ferrari rich. And then the girl with the Ferrari is like, yeah, I mean, I've got a Ferrari, but it's not like I'm helicopter rich. And the guy with the helicopter is like, yeah, I'm actually pretty rich. I don't know if you saw I've got a helicopter. <laughs> and believe me, I know some of y'all are already squirming. Because if there's two places we don't want to talk about our money, it's the IRS office and the church house. And you probably think that Paul's going to come after money in his letter to Timothy. But he doesn't. No, what he's going to do instead is, is give us some good advice. He's going to give us some warnings. And I, I hope you'll stay with me as we work our way through this passage. And I hope what you're going to see is it's not money itself that's the problem. It's what money can do to our hearts that can get us in trouble. And what we're gonna see is the way we handle our money, whether we have a little or a lot, can help us take hold of life that's truly life. So go ahead and turn there with me if you would. We're gonna be in the book of 1 Timothy. We're in chapter six. If you brought your Bible, maybe you brought your 1 Timothy study guide. It's hard to believe we're all the way over in chapter six. We only have one more teaching in 1 Timothy, this study that we started back around Labor Day. Well, my name's Michael. I get to serve on the community team here at Fellowship, and I've really enjoyed this study of 1 Timothy. I've enjoyed processing it in here with y'all. I've enjoyed it in my Thursday morning men's group. I've enjoyed it in my community group. And we're getting to the end of this letter. And what we've seen is that Paul, the great apostle Paul, wrote a letter to Timothy, this young church planter, his protege, who was pastoring a church that Paul started in the big city of Ephesus. Man, last week, Clark did a great job just pointing out to us from the text all these different kinds of people that made up the church in Ephesus. Remember, the church was like a house church. They were small. They were more like our community groups than they were like our large gathering here. And so the people really knew each other. And, and Clark showed us last week there were older people, younger people, men, women, elders, some good, some not good, widows, masters, servants. And this week, as Paul is writing to Timothy, who's trying to pastor these house churches made up of such a diverse collection of people, he's gonna return to a theme that he's been hammering through this whole letter. That theme is false teachers, Let's pick it up together in 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse three. Paul writes to Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, what's on the screen right now is one long sentence in the original Greek. 
And Paul is just pouring it on these false teachers. He is letting it rip. When he says anyone who teaches otherwise, he means outside of his apostolic teaching and the teaching of the other apostles, men who were commissioned by Jesus to take the gospel to the nations. And then he adds on there, not just Paul, not just the apostles, but Jesus himself. The language he uses there, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, it's Kyrios in the Greek, means master. And of course, we've been pointing out through the letter, Christ, it means anointed one, Messiah. Paul says, these are our people whose teaching does not align with the teaching of our master, our Lord, Jesus, Israel's Messiah and the world's true king. Now, you might remember two weeks ago, we talked about how Paul is leaning in on spiritual health. And in the course of the letter, we talked about having a healthy diet of taking in God's word and healthy spiritual exercise, training ourselves for godliness. Notice today, he says in verse four, they're unhealthy. These false teachers, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies, quarrels about words, and it produces envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion. Verse five, constant friction. Doesn't that sound terrible? Sounds exhausting. We've probably all been in that place where there's just constant friction between people. And then he says, they're robbed of the truth. And as I reflected on that, I thought about the fact that you can't be robbed of something you never had. These false teachers at one time, they had the truth. They had the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was robbed from them. How was it robbed? Well, he, he gives us a big insight at the end of the verse. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Okay, now that's a key piece of information that we've not had up to this point in the letter. Had you been wondering, what motivates these false teachers? Why would these people who had the truth begin teaching something that's counter to the gospel and that creates all these bad outcomes, division, friction, quarreling? The answer is they think it's a way to make money. You know what they say? When they say it's not about the money, it's about the money. Paul says they think godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I read that, the first thing that comes to my mind is some of the most high-profile false teachers we have in the church in America today. These are people who teach what we call the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard it called the health and wealth gospel. You know who these people are. They teach that God wants you to be rich and healthy. And of course, that goes against everything the Bible teaches. God wants you to be holy, and he'll use your wealth and your health to make you more like his son, Jesus. Look at Jesus himself. When he died, he owned one garment. That was the sum total of his earthly possessions. That is not rich by any standard in the history of the world. And don't forget, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he was tortured to death. But these prosperity teachers, they're promoting a false gospel of material prosperity. And in the process, they're getting rich off of it. I'm talking beyond helicopter rich. I'm talking private jet rich, which used to be the top until Jeff Bezos introduced us to spaceship rich. There's one prosperity gospel teacher I'm not going to say any names. He owns an $86 million Airbus. That's an airliner, y'all. You want to know who it is, you can Google it. I'm not saying a ministry leader shouldn't have an airplane. If Billy Graham had needed an airplane, if Tim Keller, if John Piper, if they need an airplane to, to do their ministry, that's between them and the Lord. I'm not saying that's the problem. The problem is how they're getting the money. They're false teachers who are not agreeing to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, but teaching that godliness is a means to financial gain. They're preying on people who are believing a lie, and they're not teaching the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. If 
There's a more subtle version of this. It's not just the bleached teeth and hairsprayed TV preacher who's doing this. We all have a little bit of this in us. Have you ever found yourself thinking, got a big business deal coming up this week, better go to church on Sunday? Or have you ever found yourself saying, I know why I didn't close that sale today, because I didn't have my quiet time this morning. See, that's thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain. We're all capable of it. So the question is, how do we combat that? How do we avoid the pitfall of thinking that our spiritual lives should be rewarded with a financial gain? Well, the way Paul's gonna combat it is he's gonna flip the script in verse six. He's gonna say, oh, you can have a great gain, but it's not financial. He says, godliness with contentment, that's great gain. I want you to put a box around that in your workbook or in your Bible. That's what I did in my Bible. I drew a box around verse six because it's the key to understanding this whole section. Paul says, yes, there is a great gain to be had, but it's not financial. It involves godliness, which is a word we've seen over and over through the book. Remember, it's that Greek word, eusebia. It means a right attitude toward God. So Paul says, if you can't, have your relationship with God right, godliness, and live with contentment. Paul says, man, that's great gain. See, the world teaches us self-sufficiency, especially our American culture. Be self-sufficient. The Bible teaches Christ-sufficiency. The Bible teaches that if we have Jesus, we have all we really need. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, I've learned to be content when I have a little or a lot. That's easy to say, hard to do, right? And so Paul is gonna spend the next few verses just kind of unpacking this idea of godliness with contentment by helping us reframe our thinking. He says in verse seven, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. We're gonna come into the world and go out of the world the same way with nothing. There's not one material possession that we can take with us out of this life. Y'all probably heard the, the old line about the, the pastor doing a funeral for someone who was very wealthy who passed away and after the service, somebody said, hey preacher, how much did she leave? And the pastor said, all of it. She left all of it. We don't take anything with us. And then Paul uses this figure of speech when he says food and clothing. He doesn't mean that's all. He knows there are other basic necessities we need. It's a figure of speech that means our basic needs. If our basic needs are met, we can be content in the Lord. He's echoing the teachings of Jesus. Jot this down in your margin, Luke 12, 27 to 30. That's what Jesus teaches. That's where Jesus teaches on this, that if we have what we need, to get by, we should be content. So what Jesus was teaching and what Paul's driving at here is that real contentment and material prosperity aren't related. In fact, he's gonna go us one better and tell us that a failure to be content with what God's given us can open us up to all kinds of problems. Look at verse nine. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says if your overwhelming desire, if your primary motivation in life is to be rich, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of temptations. Because if we really want to be rich, we open ourselves up to, to changes in how we make decisions and how we treat people. Greed, before we know it, will start to wrap itself around our heart. And we start to desire things that Paul says here not only won't make us happy, but could eventually lead to our ruin and destruction. The very things we thought would bring us happiness actually end up bringing us down. In verse 10, so famously misquoted, 
It doesn't say the it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This is an important distinction. Money itself is not intrinsically bad. It can be used for evil or as we're going to see in just a minute for good. It's the love of money that can get us in trouble. That love, that over-desiring of money, that can lead us to be greedy, selfish, dishonest, covetous. Loving money can lead us to make sinful decisions. I was talking to a friend just this last week, and he said he knew a guy who was a dentist, and his exact words to me were, he loved money more than he loved people. So this guy did all kinds of unnecessary procedures on people so he could collect the money. Oh, that's awful. And the sobering truth is we could all find ourselves making those kinds of decisions if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work on us in this area. We can make decisions we never thought we'd make. We can do things we never thought we would do all in pursuit of that cash money. And so Paul's really addressing two groups of people here. Two groups who struggle with the love of money. Those who don't have money and those who do. It's for all of us. See, this passage really isn't about rich versus poor. It's about contentment versus greed. And so wherever we find ourselves on the economic ladder, this is gonna be something we have to deal with in our own hearts. We need to be willing to say, Lord, show me where I'm, Failing to be content. Show me where I have impure motives. Because ultimately, if we don't, we could end up like the people in verse 10. That desire for wealth actually pulls people from their faith and they end up, he says, pierced with many griefs. The language here is actually very graphic. The word translated pierced is impaled. They've been run through with griefs that were caused by their love of money. Their desire for wealth, pursuing it at all costs has left them with broken relationships with their family, their church. They're far from the Lord. Every single one of us should get on our knees and say, Lord, protect me from that. God, in your grace, help me be content with what you've given me. Now, for just a second, I want us to think about the context the letter's being written into. Remember, small house church, meeting in probably a courtyard or a foyer there in Ephesus, a lot like one of our community groups. And as we've already said, there's all kinds of people in those groups. And some of those people, we're gonna see down in verse 17, are wealthy. He calls them those who are rich. So this whole passage isn't just for people who are trying to scrape together enough money to get by. Because in their churches, just like in a room like this, we have people who are all across the economic spectrum. And Ephesus, just like Northwest Arkansas, had affluent people. And so Paul's gonna speak directly to them. Don't worry, we're gonna get the verses between where we stopped and where we're picking it up next week. But this morning, we're gonna look at all the verses around this theme of money. He says in verse 17, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Notice right off the bat, he says, in this present world, it's a subtle reminder. This world is not all there is to it. This world is not the end. You're gonna leave it like you came into it with nothing. And then he gives the rich a couple of warnings. Don't be arrogant and don't put your hope in your money. Just because someone else has less money than you, don't look down on them. Don't don't judge them based on their status in life. We've all heard the stories over the years of the people who lived modestly and then when, it, when they died, they turned out they were worth millions and their neighbors were like, man, I should have been nicer to him. Don't be arrogant and then don't trust in your riches and that's a harder one because it's so easy day in and day out. When we have a comfortable home, a reliable car, clothes in the closet, food in the refrigerator, to just let those things carry us through life But Paul says here, those material things are so uncertain. We all know today's gains, 
Maybe tomorrow's losses. We all love a rags to riches story, but there's also riches to rags stories out there. We've all heard tale of people who went to bed rich and woke up poor. Paul says, don't trust in those material things. Put your hope in God. And then here's a key phrase. Who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Is that what you were expecting him to say? Remember, it isn't riches that are bad. It's loving money. It's overly desiring riches that opens us up to temptations. Instead, Paul says, God wants us to enjoy the gifts he's given us. Now, let's put that in the context of the letter. What is the main problem in Ephesus? It's false teachers, right? Now, we don't know exactly what they were teaching, but we know from some of the things Paul said in the letter, it involves this asceticism, this denial of the flesh. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't get married. Deny yourself. So what Paul's doing here is skillfully showing us the middle way, a path between the extremes of materialism and asceticism. He says, don't get over here in this ditch. Don't get in the materialism ditch where all you care about is material things and riches and wealth. But at the same time, don't get in this ditch over here, the asceticism ditch where you can't even enjoy the very blessings that God's given you. Instead, Paul says, be in the middle. And he says, here's how you do that. Do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing, willing to share. So he gave us two warnings. Don't be arrogant. Don't hope in your wealth. Now he gives us two admonitions. Do good and be generous. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to take your hand. Everybody take your hand. I want you to clench your fist as hard as you can and hold it there. Hold it. Squeeze it like you're giving blood. You feel that? Keep squeezing it. You start to feel it in your forearm and your wrist. Your nails, especially some of you ladies, they're digging into your palm. It hurts. Now I want you to just relax it and open it with your palm up. Man, doesn't that feel better? This is what Paul's calling us to to live life with an open hand. Stop guarding it so closely. Stop managing it so tightly. But instead, hold it loosely. Steward it well. And allow God to use what he's given you for good. How can you do that? How can you use your money for good? Well, there's so many ways all around us. You know, if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we see that we're blessed to be a blessing. And we have so many ways around here that we can be a blessing, that we can put our money to work for kingdom purposes. You can put your money to work through the church. You can put your money to work through our parachurch partners, like our student ministry partners who are working on the campus of the University of Arkansas, or through Loving Choices, or through New Beginnings, Ministry to the Homeless or through our partnership with Pioneer Bible Translators, there's so many opportunities to be generous and to do good by holding your resources loosely and letting God have access to them. The other way is by living not just with an open hand, but with open eyes and seeing the needs God puts right in front of you. A few years ago, I was having lunch with one of our elders and as I was looking at my menu, the waitress came over, and I was getting ready to say, over easy with grits, because my motto is, if you don't want grits, why are you having breakfast? But before I could say that, my friend I was meeting with, and I don't want to use his name, I don't want to embarrass him, he said, are you okay, ma'am? You look like you've got something on your mind. I hadn't even looked at her. Y'all, she pulled a chair up and sat down and started to cry. She said, no, I'm not okay. I'm in an abusive relationship. I don't know where to turn. I'm worried for myself. I'm worried for my young child. And this elder of fellowship began to, to give her some good advice, tell her places she could go to be safe, people who would take care of her. And he told her that she was loved and that there were people out there that wanted to help her. I saw the boss kind of, Looking over at our table, he's got a server sitting at our table with us. She got up, cleaned herself up. 
I hadn't even sensed the opportunity. He had his eyes open. And then as we're leaving, I looked over and I saw he was over to the side talking to her again. She was nodding. I knew he was reiterating what he had told her before. Then he reached in his pocket and took whatever cash he had and he put it in her hand and held his hand on top of it. I don't know how much money he gave her, but I know it meant everything to her because he was living generously. He was willing to share, and here's what he was doing. He was laying up treasure for himself, a firm foundation for the coming age so that he could take hold of the life that's truly life. What a phrase, take hold of the life that's truly life. When we stop living for money, when we stop living for stuff, when we stop just trying to pile up more, 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 and we live with our, life, our lives with our hands open, generous, ready to share, that's when we take hold of the life that's truly living. So if we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we need to develop two skills, contentment and generosity. Because if we have contentment and generosity, they're life-giving. We can experience the life that's truly living. And Fellowship Fayetteville, so many of y'all are so good at this. Just this past week, we had a substantial need arise right here in the body. Someone who calls Fellowship Fayetteville home had a legitimate and substantial need, and I made one phone call. And that leader not only gave, but he rallied others to do the same, and with just a, within just a couple of hours, that need was met. That's truly living. Homeless people are being sheltered because of your generosity. People with no scripture in their language are getting the gospel because of your generosity. Kids around the world are gonna have a shoebox of Christmas gifts and hear the gospel because of your generosity. Moms and dads in crisis situations are gonna choose life rather than abortion because of your generosity. And all of you who are participating in those and so many other areas of generosity and giving, you're experiencing this. You're experiencing life that's truly living. Because with your hands and your hearts open, man, you can experience life in a way that closed hands and a closed heart never could. And so I want us to have just a moment here at the end of the service where we can respond to the Lord. So if you'll bow your head with me, I'm just gonna give you some prompts and, and give you a chance to talk to God about this. I want you to ask him, where do you need to be more content? Lord, show us that place in our life that we struggle to find contentment. Where could I be more generous with my money, my home, my things, my time? Lord, show us where we could be more generous. And then let's confess those places that we've overvalued wealth or things Let's confess those things to the Lord that we love more than we love people. And then let's just drink in the forgiveness that he offers as we confess that. And then let's all ask God to help us turn our face toward him and live with open hearts, open hands.
Proverbs 23, four and five. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle.
ask that you would be our everything, that you would be our vision. Lord, that you would give us opportunities and open our eyes to see opportunities to use the blessings you've given us to bless others. Lord, we need you for that. It's your name we pray. Amen. Would you take a seat really quick and check out this video with us? Mark was just funny and sweet and good-natured and just everything a mama could want in a little boy. And he just had this huge heart. When he got sick, I just thought this can't be happening again because his daddy died of cancer. The TV was on. The Samaritan's Purse commercial came up for Operation Christmas Child. Immediately, it struck me. I thought, there's children that need stuff. I said to Mark, I said, you want to do this? And he goes, yeah, this sounds good. Mark was my number one helper when it came to hauling shoeboxes and packing them. And, and we always had shoeboxes all over our living room, and he'd be in there packing this or packing that. And just, he, he definitely was my inspiration to even get involved. He got it, he understood. He was like, wow, kids don't have crayons. And here I am, you know, with a arts that's set up on my computer. And, and so I thought, what a good thing for him to get involved with. So the first year we had 50 to 60 boxes. And then after that, it just took off big time. And so I love, love, love the idea of giving gifts to kids who don't have anything getting the focus off of me putting it on somebody else. Plus, they get the gospel. He had a series of chemos, radiation, 21-hour surgery, bone marrow transplant. He was so gracious during the sickness. Like he told me one time, he said, Mom, everybody has problems. I'm just getting mine over with early. How he just went through the dying process. He never complained, which was something I always had people pray. Lord, just don't ever let him doubt that you love him because if he knows that God loves him, because I can't go everywhere with him, he goes, but God is going to and God can. I just think about all the good that Mark is not able to do now because he's not here. I want to live my life in such a way that when I get to heaven, Mark's going to go, you did real good, Mom. I want to keep going what he would be doing, and now I need to do it more than ever because I need to do it in honor of Mark. It touches a life. I, one shoebox can change a life. One shoebox can change a family. It can change a village. You might meet some shoebox child in eternity that's there, is in heaven because of you. part of our body right here at Fellowship. She worships at our Rogers campus. What a story. All the loss she's walked through, and yet she's got her face torn to turn to the Lord, eyes and hands open for the Lord to use her to bless others. Now, I know all of us want to be generous, but it's hard when it's such a thin line between the income and the outgo. So I want to just share this idea with you. You know what it costs to fill up one of those shoeboxes? About $25. Two-man tent to bless a person who doesn't have shelter, about $25. A 35-degree sleeping bag, it's about $25. Do you have $25? Just open your hand, give that to the Lord, let him use that. Maybe you don't have that much or maybe you wanna do it somewhere else. That's between you and the Lord, I'm just giving you some ideas. Fellowship Fayetteville, let's live with our eyes toward the Lord, our hearts and our hands open. Hey, our prayer room's open. If you'd like to pray with someone or have them pray with you, it's right through these doors to your right. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. We'll see you back here next week.